Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is Totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. So, turn up your Walkman, loosen that scrunchie, and get ready to talk 80s with your host... Lindsay Parker. Hi, I'm Lindsay Parker from Yahoo Entertainment and Sirius XM Volume, and welcome to another episode of Totally 80s. Since we're all at home, why not take a second to follow us at Totally 80s on Facebook and Instagram, or email us your comments and show ideas at podcast at totally80s.com. You can also check us out on video if you'd like to see our lovely faces as well on our Totally 80s YouTube channel, so check that out if you're so inclined. So, of course, joining us today, as always, is my partner in all things 80s, the other John Hughes. Hey, I've been spending the time between episodes brushing up on my divas. There were a lot of divas in the 80s. The 80s were a good time for the ladies. Right? That that rhymes. (laughs) We should should have someone on to talk about it with us. You think? I know just the person. Today, a celebrating musician, DJ, and humanitarian whose new album, Fun City, hit number one on the UK dance chart, along with number three on the UK independent album chart. He's open for Elton John, Erasure, Ellie Goulding, and Cher. I buried the lead there. He's opened, he's toured with Cher. And the new album, Fun City, features guest appearances from Jake Shears of Scissor Sisters, Andy Bell from Erasure, Nikki Harris and Don DeLore, who were the backup singers for one of the biggest divas of all time, Madonna. So, of course, this makes this guy perfect for the topic. In real life, he goes by the name of Rod Thomas, but we know him better as Bright Light, Bright Light, and we're happy to welcome him back to Totally 80s. Thanks again today to our special guest, Rod Thomas, a.k.a. Bright Light, Bright Light. I can we extend an invitation for you to join us? Let's go back to the divas we were talking about. So we have someone who did not get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year, much to my chagrin and shock, was Pat Benatar. Pat wow. Benatar, I don't know, Rod, if that's like kind of your thing, because it's definitely we're going into more of like a rock thing. But Pat Benatar in America, pro- maybe not in England, but in, in I, I, you tell me, but like she was an Amer- is an American treasure, operatically trained, complete badass fashion icon. She's the reason I wear so many stripes. My entire <laughs> fat, my, my entire fashion look that I still have is based on three people. Cindy Lauper to a degree, mo- more with the hair, Madonna in desperately seeking Susan, everything Susan Thomas wore. And then one scene, one scene in the love is a battlefield video. It is a scene where Pat Bantar, who actually was 30 at the time, I found out later, but she's playing a teen runaway. And she runs out of the house. And fun fact, little bit of trivia, it's the first music video that ever had spoken dialogue in it. And she's running out of the house, and her father's like, if you leave now, you can just forget about coming back. And she's wearing, like, leopard-pegged jeans and, like, a thrift store sweater. And she's got a t-shirt with some like Japanese lettering on it and it's ripped deliberately at the neck. So it kind of looks like there's a scarf at her neck, but it's like the scarf is really just like a tattered part of her t-shirt. 
and she's got these huge earrings on. And I was just like, it, it was when you talk about like a bomb going off, it was just like, so fashion wise, the whole like wearing stripes, leotards, but she was just like, so badass. And there was a time when it was basically, John, you'll remember this better. We're like the kind of the only like rock people, women, like by that, I mean like rock, not like the go-go's or whatever, but like rock women on MTV. It was like her and Joan Jett. That was it. Yeah. Cause Hart, Hart was in their down phase at that time. This was before Hart had their, yeah. and they're definitely divas, but this is, Ann Wilson, in my opinion, is the yeah. best female rock singer of all time. But like, this was before that and Pat Benatar there was I think there was actually you might know this there was actually like one year at the Grammys where they gave the best rock female to her by default because I think she was like the only person nominated which is sad shows you like how shitty the industry was that there was no one else they could even think to nominate but she just like ruled that she was the second artist they ever played on MTV with You Better Run and besides all of the fashion stuff and I think what hit me with her at the time and she, and the amazing singing i like i said she had opera training is she was angry like all her songs were like heartbreaker and you better run and it's too late and like she was like before alanis like the way alanis hit kids of the 90s where they were like wow woman being angry this is cool we don't get to hear that too much like you know it's not right. an emotion that's encouraged in women like Pat Benatar was a woman scorned. and she was pissed off and she was giving men a piece of her mind in like all of her songs. Life is too short. So why waste precious time? Precious time was <laughs> such a jam. Oh my jam. God. I'm Every curious song. because I think Rod, you might know this or, or correct me. I don't think she had a hit in the UK until we belong, which was not a, typical pat benatar song she did she did okay. she had three top 40 hits in the uk the first one was love is a battlefield okay um it's the whole that, rocker, the rocker chick thing kind of yeah thing. Oh. that was number 17 we belong was number 22 and then the th third and final top 40 hit was all fired up oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah you missed i mean you know maybe you got the better kylie songs but you missed out with that we got the better pat benatar songs it's we got, even, yeah. it's even trade all yeah, the, I yeah, mean, you got you missed the, her angry phase. She was chilling is, out by We Belong. There's a lot of artists that didn't make the UK US crossover, and she was definitely one. Um, so while people are people are aware of her, I mean, it's a very American sound. Um, I could see and, that. Yeah, we just didn't get it. Like I, I didn't know her at all um, growing up. I didn't, I didn't know any any of the songs. They just weren't on the radio. And if you're a kid of the '80s, you really are like. A victim of what you were exposed to on the radio and the car to school. And I just, I had no idea who she was. I could see kind of how she wouldn't be a UK thing, that she'd be definitely an American thing. But yeah, for people who don't know, either because of their age or because of where they grew up, just there was a time when like rock, female rock music and her were synonymous in America. There was not too many other female rockers on MTV or on the radio because of the bullshit of programmers who will only like put one on at a time. Oh, we already have our female rock artist in high rotation this week but pat was the one they gave it to and you know that wasn't an ideal situation but they gave it to her because she was great is great mm -hmm. she could and she really can still sing she's almost like 70 now and she hasn't lost her voice very much amazing all. absolutely amazing great the one thing that always cracked me up though i think it's both from the first album they're like i think consecutive singles you better run you know get away from me you better hide followed by, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. <laughs> Wait, make up your mind, Pat. What's going on? 
No, keep him on the toes. Like the first video that she ever had on MTV, which like I said, was the second video MTV ever played was for you better run. And I only found out recently in that uh, bio, that biography, I want my MTV documentary with that I'm actually in, they interviewed her for it as well is her management or whatever said, you need to make a video. And she didn't want to, she thought videos were lame, you know, keep in mind, this is like 1980 or whatever, you know, videos are not like a required thing yet. And she, you know, had that kind of rock mentality of like, it's done to stand and lip sync to a song. This feels plastic and fake, but you know, they were like, no, you need to make a video. So she did. So she looks really pissed off during the whole video. She's like, you better run. And the reason she looks pissed off is because she's like, this sucks. I don't want to be doing this, but it completely worked with the song. It made it seem like she was really selling. The fact that she was pissed that she was having to make a video made it seem like she was pissed at whoever she was singing about or pissed as she looked at the lens and it completely worked. But let's let's take it back to, to pop because most divas uh, sort of fall into that category. And I think that probably is more of your your thing, Rod. Like who else is on your list? Jody Watley, Charday, Kate Bush. We haven't talked about Kate Bush yet. Yeah, Kate Bush is definitely a diva. She was that weird, like, she was so mainstream in the UK, but also so completely wild and completely not mainstream, you know, even though she had huge hits. Um, what a what a bonkers sound to to have crazy chart hits with. Like, all of the albums were top three, I think. Um, not, you know, top five singles, mind-blowing. Number one single, debut single, number one. Absolutely yeah. crazy. If you want bonkers... You have to hear Pat Benatar's version of Wuthering Heights. Wait, um, what? What? Pat, on her first record, Pat Pat Benatar covers Wuthering Heights because it was not a hit here. Kate Bush did not have a hit with it here at all. So someone at Chrysalis is like, hey, this is a huge song overseas. Maybe this will work. And she does a cover of it. And it kind of, <laughs> I kind of like it because it makes it an AOR rock song. Wait, I, I didn't, yeah. I don't, I'm embarrassed after I you just spent 10 minutes it. talking about how amazing Pat Benatar was and how she changed my life that I did not know about this. It's on there the are, first record. The first record, Rod, you love the first Pat Benatar record. Just okay. from talking to you because <laughs> it's very, it's very new wave. It's like, you know, it is. Very much of its time, it's synth poppy, new wave-ish almost. There's a song called My Clone Sleeps Alone. Uh, you know, uh, Wuthering Heights is on there. It's a great record. So listen to the Wuthering Heights remake by Pat Benatar. And okay. I'm curious but, of what you guys will think of it. But when we talk about bonk, bonk, the bonkers thing in general, just as we were talking about Annie Lennox a minute ago and how they would think to make uh, I Love to Listen to Beethoven be a single, it's like the fact that Kate Bush became as big as a star as she did when, I mean, I, you know, if you, I mean, we're going to late seventies here, but with like her first performance on Saturday night live, where she's like in her gold leotard, like doing Pilates on top of a piano, like that was on mainstream TV here. With Paul Schaefer playing piano, by the way. Yeah, there you go. Or like just, I mean, at Babushka, I mean, I'll, I'll say Babushka is the art rock answer to the Pina Colada song, right? Am I right? It's the same kind of thing that, you know, Am I wrong? Except it doesn't have a happy ending. I don't know what the Pina Colada song is. Wow, that was too yeah. old got and too American a reference. Army Dreamers, Suspended in Gaffa. What's happening here? This is top yeah. 40. Yeah. I mean, no, a Suspended in Gaffa was not top 40. Let's be, let's be brutally <laughs> okay, honest about good, that. Good. Um, but yeah, like, but Army Dreamers in the UK was number 16. Babushka was number five. Um, running Up That Hill wow. was number three. Don't Give Up was number nine. 
she had like a, a lot of big hits and she really did um she showed people in a weird way that you could be like a recluse and have hits like she did one tour mm-hmm. on her first like first stint and didn't play live again until 2013 or 2014 when i saw I her in london i went i went i flew I went, out for it oh we all went we that's all amazing wow <laughs> when I went the last down. night i went the last night and right. there were there were these i remember there were these women sitting behind me and i could overhear them talking it was one of them it was their 50 50th birthday and they had come in from a train some they didn't live in london they come in from a train this is what they were doing for her 50th birthday and they were so excited and the minute kate bush got on stage they all started sobbing like almost to the point where if i hadn't thought it was so cute and sweet i would have told them keep it down because they were like they lost their shit and it you know that's what kate bush meant to a lot of women and not that she didn't mean that to a lot of men too but i think when we talk about the 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 point you brought up rod about how like a lot of men are threatened by these women who are very strong or very strange or whatever like nothing Kate Bush did was for the male gaze. Like, yeah, she was attractive. Yeah, sometimes she wore like leotards or things that showed off her body, but nothing about it was for the male gaze. And, and I think uh, that connected with a lot of women. And I think everyone from like yeah. Tori Amos to like Bjork to like, you know, uh, even Lady Gaga to a degree could owes a debt to that. Absolutely. I think even, you know, even like Lana Del Rey to the, um, to the point of like making a persona because yes, you definitely have one and weaving a narrative with stories that are not your own. I mean, Kate Bush showed the world that you can write songs about something you have no experience of like being a witch burning at a cross or like being trapped under ice as a woman drowning. Like she hasn't done that. And she made all of that. So very like, you know, intoxicating to people that a lot of the artists that we have today owe an incredible debt to Kate Bush showing that that could still get mainstream support and sell records and um and intrigue and capture the public imagination in a way that nobody thought that it ever could like it's her career is so wild and she really did like disarm the male public I think when they thought that she was going to be one thing and then she <laughs> you see her in the leotard and then you see like the pantomime moves and it's like oh my god what the hell is happening it was just <laughs> such a crazy mix of all of these different styles it's really there's nobody like that it's it's really just so so particular it's incredible to watch the closest person i can think of that's like that that just you know rejected doing anything to to appeal to men specifically sexually was all over the place stylistically failed to break through in America as well. And this is going deep. Nina Hagen? Kirsty McCall. Oh, okay. Uh, oh. She, she she would do her own thing. She, you know, she would put on personas. She would uh, put she on She would, but just not in the same way. Oh. Kirsty's personas, I think, were more like, almost like stand-up, you know? Every, like she, like she every would, woman. She was she like would. in a theater stage show. Like yeah. she looked like she was giving a, a theatrical performance. You yeah, know, she sure. was like Kate Bush is like Suspiria, and Kirsty McCall is like Tell Me on a Sunday, and they're both fantastic, but they're like really different things. Sorry, but for Kirsty, you know, again, never really. If you stop ten people here on the street, I know they're not going to know who she no, is. It's tragic. All. She's so amazing. It's really tragic that she's just point, so forgotten. I saw her play probably one of her last U.S. shows in 1994 in Cleveland, Ohio. It was me and 23 other people. 
and she played like she was playing in a stadium. She did not give a crap. She went out there, did her thing, came out in the crowd, introduced herself to every single person, took photos. She was amazing. I miss Kirsty. But while we're on the subject of divas that are kind of more like really far out there, and I like to use the word bonkers or bananas. Yeah, Uh, great. The uh, obviously we've talked a bit about Grace Jones already, but someone who scared me as a child, a couple who scared me as a child, uh, you probably don't know one, so we won't go into it, but I just want to put the footnote of Dale Bozio from Missing Persons, who never got as big here as they should. But I feel I'm not saying Lady Gaga ripped her off, I don't know if Dale I Bozio, am. You I are, am. are you really? <laughs> yes, There's similarities in the appearance. I don't know how much Dale Bozio would have been on Lady Gaga's ra- radar. I feel like they were more of an LA phenomenon. Mm-hmm. No, all right. I- I've seen the same plexiglass bra used for both ladies. Definitely some, not not so much musically, but definitely some fashion. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, thing. not musically, no. But someone else who used to really scare me as a child, but I was fascinated by her is, Rod, are you familiar with Nina Hagen at all? Yes, not not anywhere near on the level that I am with these other divas, but Nina Hagen is definitely somebody I've watched lots of performances of and seen some just incredible stage performances like the artistry is really amazing i know i know her imagery much more than i know the music well she had a song called i love the line in universal radio where she had the song um the line i'm my own radio i always liked that i thought cyber woman should be their own radio but they john you remember mtv used to actually play like i love new york all the time I love, and it was uh, her just like wailing like some weird opera shit and i was like what is this they would play New York, New York, and they would play a song which everyone's forgotten about. It was very light rotation every now and then called Zara, Z-A-R-A-H, which starts off as this opera. She's very operatic. You can tell she was trained. And then it goes into this weird, bizarre synth funk thing. And you're like, what is happening? She was just so completely out there. And I mean, obviously not at a Whitney or Madonna level of starting, but definitely a diva. But you mentioned Susie Sue. We have to talk about Susie Sue. I spent my entire teen years trying to get my eye makeup to look like Susie Sue. I have some photos to prove that at some time I actually nailed it, but it is work. It's a work in progress to this day. But I mean, if Robert Smith was my king growing up, Susie was absolutely my queen. I mean, she was the, she just dazzled. I mean, you know, no pun intended. Like she just seemed like a walking piece of art to me. And I mean, you know, being someone who came from the goth post-punk world, there was, again, just like with Pat Benatar, there weren't like a lot of women in that world who were like on KROQ here. I don't know, Rod, if that's like someone that was on your radar at any time. She, they, she, Susan the Banshees did get popular as time went on. They did, yeah. I'm much more familiar with the poppy stuff. So like Kiss Them For Me, for example, or like, you know, the track that I covered face to face from the Batman Returns soundtrack, which is just a crazy placement for them to have. Although I do see, you know, the um, Susie's imagery must have been a huge influence on Tim Burton's stylistic. So it makes total sense that he would use them on the soundtrack. Um, I, I, you know, what incredible diva in, in every shape or form, like to have a goth leaning woman, like goth in terms of like the music genre and the the imagery just to be like such a like revered, like queer icon and music icon and definitely the counterpart to Robert Smith. Like they both go so hand in hand with like everything they were doing and creating and showing these weird kids in small towns that they didn't have to look like, you know, even like Cindy Lauper, which was still weird to people. They could look even more 
unique and and less mainstream than them and still be you know powerhouse figures in the world it's it's just such a cool yeah. counterpart to the to like the the polished diva to have the you know the relatable diva even though of course there was so much styling and grooming and like hairspray and god knows what else it was just such a dream world to have people like that breakthrough into the mainstream so amazing it's Absolutely. interesting you you use Robert Smith as an example with her because this the she had kind of a parallel thing like the Cure where you've got a forest these very dark songs uh, you know a night like this then you have Love Cats the creatures were kind of like their poppy Love Cats thing where with Kiss the Girl um, uh, oh what's the uh, right now which is a Mel Torme song right yeah I mean it's it's really they're on top of the pops doing that and then they're back you know as Susie and the Banshees later doing uh, you know uh, Cities and Dust about Pompeii. Mm. Well, we're, 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 there's, we have so many more divas to talk about, so I'm going to just sort of lightning round in. Raj, get your thoughts if you have any thoughts on any of them. I mentioned Charday. Do you, were you a fan of her? I think she's just, you know, the, the epitome, along with Annie Legs, like the epitome of sophistication and glamour and class. Yeah, I think really one of the most gorgeous voices of all time. Absolutely effortlessly cool from first album to last album. Like, I listen to her all the time when I'm at home absolutely like perfection even the songs that i don't care for i could listen to just because the voice is like absolutely like honey dripping from the sky absolutely amazing what about alison moyer incredible oh my god i love alison moyer so much we did a show together i'm obsessed with her from everything from like you know the alf imagery and playing around with how um, you know anti-feminine she was um fronting yazoo or yaz as you call it here whatever you call it in the states i, I can't lose track um <laughs> And like, you know, whispering my name where Dawn French just like makes out with her in the video. Mm -hmm. um, and her recent stuff is incredible. I, I think Alison Moyer is brilliant. Incredible, bonkers voice. Like yes. the <laughs> like vibrato is just so wild. And like the accent, amazing. Icon, 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 icon. When I first heard Yaz, as they were known here, I actually thought she was a man and not, I don't mean that as an insult, just like her voice was, or maybe yeah. I was, I didn't assume she was a man, but I didn't know it was yeah. a gender, uh, you know, it was such a deep and strong voice. And then it's funny because I know Andy Bell is on your most recent record and a lot of people, when Erasure first came out, not later. Thought that it was still her. I mean, or that there he are, was eight copying her. Yeah, the, there are album tracks on the first Erasure album where he sounds so much like her delivery that it's really, it's very hard to tell um, that it's not her or that it, it wasn't him on a on a Yaz track if you didn't know that they were two completely separate projects. If you thought one maybe blended into the other, you could easily be forgiven that like there's a few crossover tracks. It, uh, it's wild. Well, I know Andy really, you know, was uh, a great admirer of Vince's Vince Clark's before he got in Erasure, and I do believe he used to practice to Yazoo records at home. So maybe like not that makes sense on yeah. a subconscious level. He was sort of at at least initially aping that style. Obviously he. He has very much an iconic voice on yeah. his own. Um, can, I give a, can I give a shout out to my most favoritist Yazoo track that's not a single, State Farm. Yeah. Let's hear it for State Farm. Yeah, State Farm is don't, there. Don't make it feel <laughs> How do you guys feel about, uh, I'm just going to throw a few more out, Terry Nunn from Berlin. She was a style icon for me and definitely, uh, I don't know how big she might have been in England. She was in LA, huge. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not really aware of her per se, which is my own fault. Um, 
I, I'm not really aware of Berlin's work beyond the kind of uh, main songs, not just like the hit, but not just the, you know, the song from the movie, but like, I don't know much about their lives or their, um, their life beyond music, unfortunately. Rod, Rod you have homework. You have to listen to Masquerade. I do. I, I mean, I have that record. I just, it didn't grasp no, sex, me the way that- sex. sex from Pleasure Victim is the song that would be a good one for your DJ sets. But there's, okay. she's, she's, I mean, she was an icon because of the hair, obviously take my breath away that Georgia Moroda won an Oscar. But it's funny because she was an actress and she was in that disco movie, Thank God It's Friday, playing like the oh, she, disco oh. crash. She was in that. But she auditioned actually to be Princess Leia. And if you go on YouTube, her audition with Harrison Ford is there because I think on one of the DVDs, they showed a bunch of actresses who auditioned to the part that wow. obviously went to Carrie Fisher. She didn't do a bad job. She just was only like 17. So she was playing it much more as like a bratty teenager, you know, right. and apparently Harrison Ford didn't like her. So like he didn't like her right off the bat, but she did all right for herself. But I always thought, you know, I, again, I think she was probably more of an American thing, but I wanted to get your thoughts on her. And then someone who was, when we're talking about fashion icons for me, how do you feel about Jodie Watley? I, again, I'm not super familiar. I have a couple of the 12 inches. Um, was not a big thing for me growing up, um, which again is my British heritage failing really. Just wasn't on the radar in any way that they were over here. Well, it's before your time, but she does have a little bit of a British connection. If I, if oh, I'm George not... Michael, I know that George Michael sings in one of her songs. Yeah, but she also was jo Omar. John, she was Salomar, which were huge in the UK. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, those pages didn't connect. Right. But John, are you? Am I right in that she's the only American artist that's on? Do they know it's Christmas? Because she like happened to be in England at the time and got invited down. And her and Cool in the Gang. Cool in the oh, Gang. Okay. The, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. With and but all. I, Tony Watley, I have to admit, Ron, I'm with you. I mean, I know looking for a new love and friends. and Don't you want me? Some kind of lover? Oh, my God, she was so great. And a fashion icon. You know that, like, that advice? I think that uh, um, that advice that uh, I think Coco Chanel said it, like, when you leave the house, you should, like, look in the mirror and take one piece of jewelry off. She did not take that advice. She looked <laughs> in the mirror and put everything on. She was like a she was a work of art. God, she was. She, I just loved her so she much. Was beautiful, she was and beautiful. she actually she had a lot of hits there. I don't think she's someone who gets her due in terms like maybe people like you said, John. Remember a couple songs, but anyway, before we go, I know that you Rod toured with Cher, so we got to talk about Cher. Yeah, and I I want to talk in general about. It seems like in the eighties, you know, I mentioned a while ago that like someone like Cindy Lauper could become successful at age thirty. There were a lot of like older, I mean, they probably weren't that old, but they seemed older at the time, older artists who had real career inventions in the eighties, like Tina Turner's the most obvious one. You know, she like private dancer was like the biggest thing in 1984. Diana Ross completely re reinvented herself in 1980 with upside down and I'm coming out. That album came out in 1980. Aretha Franklin, she was on MTV along with all of the young new wave people with Pink Cadillac and who's them and who and freeway of love and, duets with Annie Lennox and George Michael, Stevie Nicks, Olivia Newton-John, Donna Summer. She had a whole 80s thing, you know, new wave thing, which she works hard for the money. But Cher, absolutely, along probably next to Tina Turner, had like a huge, the biggest like kind of 70s, 60s artist comeback, you know, with uh, 
obviously with what if I could turn back time, but then also I found someone and we all like basically that late eighties, like eighty seven to eighty nine, and that coincided with her having like this huge acting career or whatever. Like, are you a we don't have time to talk about all those people, but we gotta talk about the fact that you got to tour with Cher. Yeah, I mean Cher was somebody much more so than any of these divas that I was aware of because she was just such a public figure as well on top of the music, you know. So everybody knew if I could turn back time, that body stalking, the imagery. This is who I, you know, embodies all the things that I spoke about earlier about a diva where it's like iconic imagery, iconic moments with starring in movies that were winning like Oscars and award nominations across the world, um, hit singles, album covers, uh, popping up in like, you know, celebrity friendships, talked about the news, like everything. She was literally everywhere. There is no way that you could have been a person on this planet in the 80s and not have heard who Cher was or something about her name. Like, it's just completely amazing how she was like, you know, synonymous with being alive <laughs> in the 80s. When we know did you tour? We, we know her boyfriend worked at a bagel shop. That's we how much. That. I mean, I would Robbed date somebody that worked in a bagel shop. I love bagels. Hey. Clever girl. Like, <laughs> <laughs> when did you tour with her? And uh, did you get a chance to spend any time with her or meet her? I toured with her last year. I mean, this time last year, I was still on tour with her, which wow. is crazy. Um, yeah, we ended the tour on the 20th of October last year. Um, I, I met her briefly for, you know, five minutes, one night. She's busy. She's doing her thing. She's really sweet, really nice, really lovely, really small, quite short. Small? Okay. Yeah, she's quite short, gorgeous, looks younger than me, mortifying. Um, <laughs> does, an, does an amazing show every night. I actually bought a ticket to the show before that in New York and then got to go on tour and see it nine more times, which is awesome. Wow. Um, it was, you know, it's really cool seeing her on stage now, still like kicking it and doing an incredible show and really seeing, like when I talked with Elton or whatever, like the people that do have absolute star quality and longevity beyond what anyone was willing to grant them. And it's really cool to just see these people own what they've achieved with their lives. And like the 80s is still such a huge part of Cher's show. Obviously it ends with Believe because that's like, the pinnacle of sales for one song that she's had. Um, but the 80s stuff is so timeless and everybody knows all the songs. It's like drunk people's karaoke song, wedding songs, uh, college radio, college dance floors, 80s nights, 90s nights. Um, she's like the ultimate 80s, like almost like more than a diva, you know? She's just like, she's like a kind of 80s god. <laughs> She's not even a diva. She's just like, there's nothing like her at all. She's just there. There's I nothing feel, like her. I feel since we've gone to the point where we're beyond diva-dumb and gotten into the god phase, we that's a great way to end this. So I uh, thank you so much for bringing all your insight, all your knowledge. Um, is there anything you want to plug? Obviously, we've talked about the fact that you have this album, Fun City, out. But you do these DJ sets, and you're working on other things. Thank you again, Rod, a.k.a. Bright Light, Bright Light, Rod Thomas, for joining us to talk about all things divas. I've been Lindsay Parker, and I've been joined today by the other John Hughes. And we want to thank you for listening. Remember to give us a rating review on your favorite podcast platform, and we'll catch you next time. This was Totally 80s. 
the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Totally80s and please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Until our next episode, catch you on the flip side. Bye.